Turn with me and your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We're continuing our series in the Ten Commandments. Um, you know, as I've, I said last week, if you've missed a few of the commandments, uh, you want to go back, I'll probably reference, I, I believe they're all connected in some way as we look through them, but you can go back on our website as they're being posted. You can follow up and listen to them, the audio recordings. I'd encourage you to do that. Our, our format has been... Uh, what does this mean for Israel? And you'll see it in your bulletin. Follow along. We're going to look. What did this mean in the original context for a, an ancient culture? Um, what, is, what does this protect us from? What's the positive nature of the commandments? It really, when we read uh, Scripture in the Old Testament, we should look at that. There's a reason that God commanded this. It benefits us in some way. And the third, of course, how does it apply to us? And what did, what did Jesus interact with it? So it would be a good time together. All right, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, we're looking at just verse 12, commandment number five. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the word of the Lord. Family. Well, I, you know, this, if you're new to church, if you've never, it'd be hard to believe, but if you've never heard of the Ten Commandments, you may start reading them and say, boy, okay, you know, no gods before me, uh, no graven images, uh, don't use my name wrongly, uh, take a Sabbath rest. And then all of a sudden we get to Commandment 5 and it's, make sure to honor your parents. Maybe not what you would guess would be number five on the list of you going through them. That's uh, kind of a strange term. Why are we talking about family and the Ten Commandments? When I, when I went to seminary, probably my favorite class, you know, a lot of it was kind of rehash, is I did an undergraduate in uh, biblical studies and theology. And so a lot of the Bible classes, nothing was too surprising. It was good study going through. But there was one class, my favorite class all through seminary, that really stuck out to me. And that was pastoral care and counseling. And the reason it really stuck out to me was we started talking about a way to, a counseling kind of theory and way to help people. And it's called a family systems, a family systems theory. And it really was, uh, opened my mind to a, a lot of ways of how family impacts us um, in ways that we don't even realize about what birth order you were, uh, how you related to your parents, how your parents related to one another, impacts who we become later in life in powerful ways. And in fact, sometimes the larger generations who we may not even know have known, they pass things through. In fact, uh, to go through this class, one of the final projects we had to do was what they call a genogram. And it's basically where you chart your entire family tree going back at least two generations. So you have to at least go up to your grandparents and you chart things, maybe things they struggled with when they were born, when they died, what their professions were, and you realize there are systems that work within your family um, that have heavily impacted you that may have started generations before. Um, and so it just, all of this, and it, it realized, it, it rang so true in my own life, I said, this is really powerful stuff. That our family, I think the reason number five in the list of Ten Commandments is talking about family and honoring your parents is because family really is one of the most powerful forces in our lives. Um, it, 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 it determines so much 
about who we become. And this is, I'm really talking about on spiritual terms as well. I think this is very biblical as we talk about, as we're going to look at scriptures today, uh, that the sins of the parents continue to follow the rest of the generations, or even the faith of the older generations continue to follow the other generations. Uh, it has a big impact from generation to generation who we become in our families. I... Um, I was reminded of this when we were at district assembly. A few of us were there. And uh, a man was giving a talk about, um, it, it was really kind of a theological talk. We were talking about uh, intimacy with God, how we have intimacy with God, and how we're called to have intimacy with God. And uh, a lot of us live in some shame about who we are, uh, but God can free us through the, of that in Jesus Christ. And we're to have a very close and intimate and loving relationship with God. Um, and he was talking about this, and he's done a lot of work with intimacy and shame uh, and intimacy with God. And he'd been given a talk, his friend uh, who he's working with, had been given a talk in a small church group, right, about how we're supposed to have intimacy with God. And one of the gentlemen after the conversation, during the question, he stood up and he said, um, I hear what you're saying, that we're supposed to be really close with God and have a deep, intimate relationship with God. But I've been in church for 30 years, and I've devoted my life to the church. I've, I've been to almost every Sunday service I could get my hands on. I've worked in the church, and I've never had the intimate relationship that you're talking about right now. I've, I've never felt that intimacy. I, I'm a Christian. I've given my life to the Lord. I've never felt that intimacy you're talking about. And the presenter um, didn't try to refute him or he simply asked him this question. You may say, boy, this is off topic. He said, if you were wearing a t-shirt and your parents could write on it how they really felt about you, what would that t-shirt say? Immediately, the man began to weep. He began sobbing. And finally, after a minute or two, he could barely get it out. And he said, unwanted and illegitimate. That's the feeling he got from his parents growing up. And the presenter at District Assembly was telling us this story to talk about how our relationship with primarily our parents and the rest of our family impacts so much of our spiritual life and what we deal with and how we can relate to God. And so as we talk about honor thy father and mother, it's not just a simple uh, obey when you're eight years old. What we're going to see today is this is a much larger issue that can and will get to the heart of our own spirituality and how we relate to God our Father. Um, and so while this may be a, oh, this is a quick and easy one, Pastor, get us out here early. I'll try to get us out here early. But I'm here to tell you that we're really talking about big stuff when we talk about even relate, how we relate to our parents. And I think many of us can, could testify. We could be here all day as we talk about what an impact our parents had on us, whether it's a blessing, leading in faith, or as a difficulty, difficult relationships. So let's move forward and let's look at what this meant in the original context of Israel. Um, before we get to the actual commandment, though, I kind of want to fill it out somewhat like we did last, uh, last week. 
and look at what are some other scriptures in the Old Testament that relate to how we relate to our parents. And I think it'll help us situate and understand what this commandment meant for Israel. There's Deuteronomy chapter 21. You don't necessarily need to turn there if you don't want to, but let me read that to us. Uh, Chapter 21, starting in verse 18, the scripture says this. If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father and mother, who does not heed them when they discipline him, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the town of the gate of the place. They shall say to the elders of the town, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the town shall stone him to death. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear and be afraid. Um, some of our ears should have kind of pricked up right there. Do you, do you recognize one of the phrases that are, that's in that scripture? That he is a glutton and a drunkard? Remember, that's what they called Jesus. The Pharisees said he's a glutton and a drunkard. This is actually the scripture they were referring to when they attacked Jesus. They were basically saying Jesus is that rebellious son who we need to take out back and do away with. I say that not only because it's an enlightening thing of how the Pharisees really saw Jesus. They thought he was being a rebellious son with how he was handling the teachings of scripture. But also we should remember that Jesus is at least 30 years old there right? So they were using this law in terms of an adult male son. Also, I don't know how many eight-year-olds these days we could take out back and say they're being a glutton and a drunkard. Uh, And culture hasn't changed that much. There were no eight-year-old glutton and drunkards in ancient Israel. This law was really talking about the relationship of, at the very least, the teenage son, more than likely an adult son, who was dishonoring and disobeying the parents. In this culture, you could get married like right after puberty. So you could get married probably 14 or 15, but you stayed in constant relationship with your parents because it was a subsistence farming culture. Um, they didn't have grocery stores. That You lived on the land and worked the land with your family, and it passed from generation to generation. So there was always this relationship with parents. And so I kind of bring this up to say, A, hey, hey, thank God for Christ and that we're not taking anybody back out and stoning them. Um, But also to say, these laws, we don't also need to super cringe because we're not talking about young children here. We're talking about older children that are shirking their responsibilities in the home. Um, Another one, Exodus chapter 21, we see this clearly. Exodus chapter 21 is kind of the chapter where a lot of the law about murder And kidnapping is taking place, right? And here's uh, two verses there. Verse 15 says, uh, if anyone strikes a parent, there be be to, to be put to death. Striking there, we're talking in the terms of murdering. I say this because, again, we're really not talking about young children. We're talking more about adult children who are living in close proximity to their parents and that have the capability to murder their parents, right? We're talking about adult children here. Uh, Verse 17, whoever curses father or mother shall be put to death. Um, we talked about the power of the curse a few weeks ago and misusing God's name. This isn't uh, just about saying one rash word to your parents. This is really relating to your parents as if, basically, I wish you were dead. You're a nuisance to me. It's basically total disregard for the parents. To curse them is to say, I wish you were out of my life. Uh, get away from me. 
Um, more so, though, as we've been looking at this, to curse one's parents is uh, as you get older, to curse them is to basically live and as you transition to have power over your parents to say, I'm done with you. I've had it with you. That's the curse that we're really talking about there. Um, and so as we look at these laws, we kind of realize that, and as we come back to the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments weren't for the children of Israel. The Ten Commandments would have been presented to mainly the adult males in the community. It's a very patriarchal society. This was the law that was to govern the people of God, but especially the adults. So in episode, and in commandment number five, see, honor thy father and mother. God is commanding his people to not forsake their parents. Because in all of our lives, and the there's going to be a power shift if it hasn't already occurred. But especially in a very ancient culture, there's no doctors, there's no nursing homes, there's no retirement facilities, there's no 401ks, there's no stock market to put your investments in. Your only investment could be your children, right? And so to honor thy father and mother is basically to say to the adults, when that power shift happens in your family, when, even as a young teenager, I think, there, all of us have been teenagers, you felt that power shift, right? Um, your, your parents couldn't spank you anymore. You just got too big for it. Um, some of us may have been difficult relationships. We felt that power shifting. We, we kind of on board, you know what I'm talking about. But that power begins to shift as you become an adult. And if you think of an agriculture society as uh, they would become weaker, more dependent on the children, as the children began to take more roles, the commandment is to say, don't disregard your parents in that power shift. Why do we even have laws? Why, why does God even command laws? It's to protect the vulnerable. It's to protect those vulnerable situations of life. And there's no more vulnerable situation to be in a very ancient society and to be elderly and to have no one to care for you. It's even more vulnerable to be in a situation where maybe the ancient Israelite didn't have a great relationship to their parent. And now their parent is at the most vulnerable point in their lives. And basically they curse them and say, I'm not going to take care of you. I'm going to have nothing to do with you. That would mean death and poverty for that parent. So as we look at the commandments and we look at how they function in ancient Israels, I, I really believe, I'm not trying to say honor to father and mother had nothing to do with children, and children definitely should. Scripture is clear, obey their parents, uh, heed their discipline. But the power of this commandment for ancient Israel was really to say, when your parents grow older, continue to honor them. This is heavily connected to the Sabbath commandment, actually, you really... You realize that basically it's to say when your parents, we all will hit a Sabbath at the end of our lives where we can't continue in the work that we did. And if you think of an ancient society, uh, there comes a point where we physically could not go out and farm and do the work we did. And this is basically to say when your parents can't make bricks anymore, right? We talked about making bricks last week. When your parents can't produce when the elderly in your community can't do what they once did, don't treat them with contempt. Don't disregard them. Don't do away with them. You are to honor them, treasure them, and care for them. 
It is a very vulnerable point. But it is really the health of the society that God is commanding here in commandment number five. The ancient Israel wouldn't treat people just like in the Sabbath once every seven days that we wouldn't treat people as disposable just because they can't produce what they once were. That is our responsibility commanded to us by God and for ancient Israel. So what does this protect us against? Um, what, where, where is the positive nature of this? I, I think it's pretty clear. I think anytime we have a commandment that is protecting a vulnerable population, um, that's a good positive aspect. Because whether we're there right now or not, we are all, if we're blessed enough to live long enough, there's going to be a time where we're going to have to depend on other people for help, whether it be in small and big ways. We're, we're all going to be there if we're blessed enough. This commandment, the positive nature is, is it really says that if we are blessed enough to have children, that it is our children's responsibility and duty to help us through that time, to care for us, to love us, at the very least, not to disregard us. Um, the prophets were very clear for Israel that the health of any society could be gauged by how they cared for the widow and the orphan and the stranger. The darkest period in Israel's history, Judges chapter 19, was a story of how the hospitality of a stranger was grossly violated. That is the spiritual health of any society. And here, the commandment number five also adds to that vulnerable list. Of a health of a society is how they treat those who can't produce anymore. How you treat your parents gauges the health of the society, but your spiritual health as well. Also, this is a positive commandment for us because there's a theological side of this, that we can't talk, we can't call God Father, and Israel is instructed that. Israel is, I am your Father, you are my Son. We hear that expressly throughout the Gospel. Jesus tells us to call God Father. There's also mothering language for God in the Old Testament, that God is the mother of Israel, giving a pain and childbirth as so we have that image as well. So God, the parent, you can't call God your parent, your father, and then disregard and curse your earthly parents. Do you see the connection here? That there is a component, just like the gospel say, you can't hate your brother and say, I love God. There's a connection here. If you want to relate rightly to God, that you have to be able to relate rightly to your parents. The pulpit just knocked me over. I hope that doesn't say anything. And so I, I think some of us may begin to have the question, though, Pastor, what if I didn't have that good relationship with my parents? What if I'm like that guy that struggled earlier in the sermon that didn't feel loved from his parents? We're going to get there. But before we get there, let me just say this. I think that's also the power of this commandment. We turn to what it means for us. This is the gospel component to this commandment. Is to say, even if your parents didn't show you the love you, you were deserved as growing up, it is still your duty to show them the love and grace and forgiveness and care later in life. That even in general, when people seek to harm us, we don't return with harm. We don't return with cursings. What does Scripture say? That we are to bless them and love them and forgive them. 
And I know for many of us, our parent relationship, even the best parent relationships in here, can be difficult. They're complex. Some of us carry wounds. And I think the gospel component of this command really is to say, yes, but you still need to honor them. Let's look at how Jesus handled this. Uh, Jesus told some family narratives. We're going to talk about that. But probably the most powerful scene in all the Gospels, as we relate it to our own lives today, is the Gospel of John. If you know what I'm talking about, the Gospel of John, when Jesus is dying on the cross, and his mother is there. I think sometimes we forget the family component of that. There could be no worse nightmare for a mother watch her son publicly executed in a very horrific way, hanging there naked, dying. And Jesus, in some of his last breaths, looks to his mother and looks to the beloved disciple John, and he simply, basically gives his mother over to John and said, behold your mother, and John, uh, and behold your son to his mother, basically saying, will you now take care of my Mother. Scholars believe we don't hear much about Joseph in later gospels, so Joseph must have died before Jesus' public ministry. That also may be why Jesus doesn't begin his public ministry until age 30, that he is at home helping take care of the household and managing the household, uh, because we don't hear much about Joseph. But this, it's, it's clear that Jesus wouldn't have done this if Joseph was still alive. And so for a widow in this culture, she would have been a very vulnerable. She would have had to have uh, a family, a home to take care of her. And so in his dying breath, Jesus, as he's giving his life for all of us, he takes time and he fulfills commandment number five. He makes sure that his mother is taken care of. She is honored and blessed. And this way, Jesus shows us that, yes, for holiness, for those of us who want to be disciples of Christ, that want to give our lives to serve him and his kingdom, we too must follow in his footsteps and provide and honor our parents. So what does this look like for us in our lives? I, I do think it's pretty simple, but it can be pretty complex. And everything you do, as much as you can, honor and love your parents. Show compassion and grace to your parents. If you're young here, yes, obey your parents. That is God's will for us, that we would enter into the discipline of our parents. That is clear cut. But as that relationship changes and as we grow up, still love them, honor them, respect them. Um, no, it's not right for adult children to be under the thumb of their parents still, um, but that does never mean that we openly disregard them. But I really do believe this, the import of this, the, the weight of this commandment as we grow older and we look at how we care for our parents. And I'm not here to give anybody a hard time, some of us will need to put our parents into a care facility. Um, there will come a time when their health, their safety needs, uh, maybe their mental health needs are too great for us to bear, and that we should not feel bad about that. Um, but I will say that no matter where your parents need to live, or maybe we're talking about an uncle or aunt, don't warehouse them. And I think this, if we think about how powerful this commandment is, even in our culture today, go and visit a nursing home. You'll quickly realize how people are forgotten. Parents are laid aside 
and their family has nothing to do with them. I think it is one of the most tragic things in our society today that the gospel speaks powerfully into. I think it's compounded because people are seen, they, they aren't seen as having worth. They're seen as out of touch, as the, the advance of technology goes faster and faster and faster, and say, oh, they just don't understand, and they're warehoused. And I would say that is breaking commandment number five in its fullest. That is basically to curse your parents and say, I want nothing to do with you. Get out of my life, right? So don't do that. If you need to put them in a care facility, whatever that looks like, stay connected to them. Make sure they stay connected to you. Harvey, I, I'm going to pick on you. Um, you know, most of us, we love Miss Rose, and uh, Rose needs to be, Miss Rose needs to be in a care facility. Her, you know, if I am blessed to make it to 96, am I right, 96? If I'm blessed enough to make it to 96, I'll probably need some extra care. But Harvey, I'm tooting his horn a little bit. I go in there, I try to see her at least once every couple weeks. I go in there and every time I go see her, it's my son was here today. He's so faithful to come and visit me every day. Um, that's what I'm talking about, that we have the faithfulness to our parents, that they wouldn't feel warehoused, they wouldn't feel disconnected, that we are honoring them at the most vulnerable time in their lives. I, I've, I've worked in hospice. I've worked in, in nursing homes as a chaplain. People are living in fear. They're scared. Um, their health is failing. It is a very difficult time of life. And we are called. This is the gospel. This is a vulnerable population. A, a lot of times, I, you know, I may even be guilty of this. We like to talk about uh, the hip vulnerable, right? Um, it's fashionable to talk about the elderly are often the forgotten in our society that need love and concern. So we are called to do this in our family. So if you can, I think it is great to have a, a grandparent in the home raise your children with. Um, let me say this to some of us, though. Um, some of us may be getting at the point where we need the help from our children. Some of us are getting blessed that we are getting up in age where we can't do as much as we used to. That also is a hard transition in itself. Um, one of my favorite stories, I heard this just secondhand, a gentleman I was listening to the podcast, and he was telling a story about his father, who was a very faithful, Christian, devoted man. And his father had an, kind of a, his father was getting older, you know, probably in his 80s. And his father had a surgery coming up, um, and it was a life-threatening, but the surgery could save his life. And um, his father said, you know what, I'm good. I don't want to undergo the surgery. I'm, I'm great. I know where I'm going. I, I'm ready to see God. Um, and his kids came to him and said, Dad, please don't do that. We, we still need you. We want you to please have the surgery. And so he said, okay, I'll have the surgery. And he did. He had the surgery and came along. And, and he said, you know what, I think God still had something for me. And his son was telling the story. He, he said, he asked his dad, Dad, what do you think, why do you, why do you think you're still here? Why do you think God kept you with that surgery? Here's what his dad said. I think it's to show you, show his children, how to take care of me. Do you hear that? I really believe that. And I want some of us to hear this and maybe tell our friends, tell our parents 
Because I think in our culture, as we're talking about Sabbath, there's a lot of shame that people carry. There's a lot of pain that they carry that, oh, I'm being a burden on my children. I can't do what I once did. I believe I'm an independent person. I don't want anybody to do anything for me. Folks, hear me. If you get to a certain age, you're going to have to have people do things for you. And I want you to hear that that's a good thing, that God may be using you to teach children and family members how to serve. Because one of the things the gospel commands us to do is to serve one another. And one of the things people struggle with the most in this culture today is how to serve and love. So there is a place in our families, there is a needed place to help younger generations know how to take care of somebody. And we're talking brass tacks here. You know, we get to church and we talk about, I'm talking about how to serve, how to drive you places, how to, you know, help you walk from one room to another. That is a good thing. God may be using you. Never feel guilty about it. Never feel shame about it. You are blessed. And that is what your family is called to do. It is an honor also to be able to serve and to become Christ-like. So I hope you hear that today. All right, so that's brass tacks. Honor the father and mother. Watch out for them. As I mentioned, though, some of us may struggle with our relationship with our parents. Um, It's a very complicated relationship that how we relate to God, the wounds that we carry, the joys that we carry relate from that. And I just want to kind of end with a gospel story that Jesus told. A lot of times he explained who God was and what the kingdom of God was like through family, right? This is one of probably most of our favorite parables that Jesus told. And I want to tell it today, not only because it's a father-son relationship, because what we're talking about is a story about a very unruly child that probably should have been taken out back and stoned. Because in the story, the child comes to his father and says, give me my inheritance. You probably know what story I'm talking about. Because in this culture, when you come to your parents and say, give me my inheritance, you're basically cursing them. You're saying, I wish you were dead. I want nothing to do with you. I'm definitely not going to be here when you need me. Give me my money. I'm out of here. That father in all of rights could have taken him out back, taken him to the elders and said, he's a rebellious son. Get him out of here. But he didn't. In the parable, the father gave the son the money. He gave him freedom. And we know what the son did with the money. He ran out and he squandered it. He didn't even invest it. He didn't even go buy a house far away. He just spent it on prostitutes and gambling and just poured it away. Oh, man, that should make you angry as a parent. And that son goes into utter poverty. And he realizes, man, I'd have it better if I just was a a slacky back in my dad's house. And so he goes back home hoping just to eat grub at the house. And as the son is walking up the road to the house, who's standing on the porch looking for him, waiting for him? His father. And what does his father do? He doesn't sit back and Lean back and say, oh, I can't wait till he gets to the porch. I'm going to tell him, told you so. Right? He deserves that and worse. His father picks up his robe and runs out to him. 
Remember when I preached on that? That would have been shameful for a grown man to run in that day and age. But he runs to him and he embraces him. And he says, my son, which was dead, has been found. Let's party. My friends, I'm here to tell you, I don't know what your relationship to your parents was like, but I do know that you can have an intimate and loving and beautiful relationship with God, your Father. That if you are far away from God, if you don't know that love and that intimacy, maybe you missed it as a child, God is standing on the front porch waiting for you to come back home. And maybe some of us need to hear today, we've been living with God the Father as this demanding, uh, strict, stoic person overlording in our lives, maybe because that's the type of parent we had. And I'm here to tell you, that is not what God is like. God is like that parent who is longing for us to go back home, that loves us more than we can imagine, is ready to forgive us at a moment's notice. All we have to do is come back home. And that beautiful, loving relationship can be yours. Have you come back home this morning? Have you had that encounter? Have you heard God, your Father, say you're forgiven? Forget about it. Let's move on. I have a whole new future for you. I really believe that when we've had that encounter, commandment number five, oh, it's easy. Even if we had a difficult relationship with our parents, we've experienced so much love and grace and forgiveness with God, our Heavenly Father, that we're ready to show that grace and that love and that forgiveness to our parents, especially when they need it the most. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, oh, it's, it's good to call you that. Thank you for inviting us to call you parent. I pray in these moments as we respond to your word, as we think about even what commandment number five has for us, that we wouldn't miss the bigger picture. That you are inviting us into a whole and loving and intimate relationship with yourself. And that will have outpourings into our relationship with our earthly parents. So would you speak to us? Would you send your spirit to be in this time of communion and this time of prayer that your spirit would speak to us and draw us closer to yourself? Transform and renew us in these moments, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. They called Jesus a glutton and a drunkard. They called him a rebellious son. And yet he said, actually humanity has been the rebellious son but God's ready to forgive. And the only reason we can come back home this morning to God our Father is simply because Jesus, our brother as it were, gave his life for us so that we can come back home. And so as we begin to respond to the word and we prepare our hearts for a time of communion and prayer, I simply want us to remember and recognize that it is only because Jesus gave his body and his blood that we get to call God Father. That scripture says we get to have the same relationship 
that Jesus has with God. Do you hear that? That's God's gift of salvation. So as our servers come, as we respond to word, you don't have to be a member of this church for taking communion. All that we ask is that you've made that decision to accept God's free gift of grace through Jesus Christ. That you're coming and willing to say, God, here I am, forgive me. I'm sorry I ran away, but I'm back. Give your life over to Christ and he will transform it. He will give you freedom and peace like you've never had. And then come and partake of the bread and the cup and the grace of God is yours. I'd invite you to pray in an altar before or after the time of communion, anything heavy you're carrying, bring it to God in prayer. You can pray in your seats. But when you're ready, God is standing on the porch waiting for you to come back to the family meal to join him at the table. Let us continue in a time of prayer. Lord, we uh, are grateful to be invited back into your home. That not only are you waiting for us, that you sent your son in search of us. That while we were lost and far away, you came, took on flesh out of love for us. So I pray that each and every one of us, no matter what burden we carry from our childhood or our family life, Lord, whatever we're struggling with today, that we would lay down our pride and that we would come to you as children and that we would feel the embrace of your love, your peace, and your comfort, that we would always know that you love us no matter what and that we can come to you and be freed from the power of sin and we can live holy lives that are beautiful and joyful and that reflect you in the world today. May it be so in every one of our lives. Lord, when the going gets tough, when we carry heavy burdens, when we're not sure, may we have the faith of children to relate to you, to know that you will provide in every situation, that you will make a way when there is no way, and you will never leave us or forsake us. And as we continue to grow deeper in a relationship with you, as you continue to sanctify us and speak to us and mold us and shape us, may we follow the commandments. May our love and this grace that you've placed in our lives continue to pour out to first and foremost our families and to our parents and to our children as we show love and compassion and provide for those in our families who need it the most. May we be faithful to forgive those who have harmed us, but especially in our families. May we be quick to show the grace in our families, the same grace that you have showed us. And may we be quick to serve and be willing to be served in our families. Lord, for those who are dealing with family strife today, those who carry wounds, those who are missing a loved one and are mourning today, may your spirit comfort us. Heal them, we pray, Lord. May we trust that you are enough even as we may miss family members, even as we may struggle, even as we may not feel loved, we know that there is enough love from God our Heavenly Father.
to fulfill us and to sustain us. May you be with those who are carrying a burden for family members or loved ones that have a physical burden, whether it be a cancer diagnosis, whether it be chronic pain, whatever the physical need may be in our congregation, Lord, and our families, we give it over to you. We ask that your healing touch may be in it. And through all of this difficulty that we may be facing, may we see your hand of providence and care at work. We lift up our church ministries to you, Heavenly Father, and just ask that we would be faithful in all that you've given us. May we reach our community. May we show the love of Jesus wherever we go. May we fill the real and concrete needs of our neighbors because we love them. And may in us they see the love of Christ. May they see the love of the Heavenly Father that they are desperate for. And so may we be faithful to lead others to Jesus to the good news, whether that be through the preschool, whether that be through the NA meetings that meet here on a weekly basis, whether it be through the food pantry or the cookout this next Sunday, Lord. May your spirit be in all of it. May you bless it. May we continue the ministry of your kingdom. May we continue the ministry of the good news that we can go home and find love and forgiveness. We lift up our district superintendent to you, Greg Mason, and, and our fellow churches uh, in the North, state of North Carolina. Bless them. Uh, build up your kingdom. And we pray for the church globally, for those uh, Christians that are suffering today, laying their lives uh, down in the, for the sake of the gospel, Lord. Sustain them. Bless them, we pray. We lift up our local and our state and our national leaders, Lord. May you give them wisdom. May we treat other nations rightly, Lord. And may we promote peace and justice wherever we can. Lord, uh, may you keep us close to your heart. For each person here, may they feel your spirit drawing them closer to yourself. And may we respond faithfully to you. We love you, Heavenly Father. Help us to pray that prayer you taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me? Another way I'd, I'd like to rephrase uh, commandment number five is simply to say, do unto others as you would have done to yourself. And that especially applies to your parents and your family, to those closest to you. So may you leave this place and carry the good news that there is grace and love enough for everyone, especially for those in our houses.